Welcome to the Final Girls Podcast. This is Anna, co-founder of the Final Girls Collective and your podcast host. If you're new to the show, every season we explore the intersections of horror film and feminism, looking at a particular trope in depth. And we're going to be spending the next few months talking about the most elegant of movie monsters, the vampire. In each episode of the show, I'm joined by a special guest to dive deep into a vampire movie or two. We discuss the films in detail and try to contextualize them and think about what works and what doesn't. There is often a lot of bad humor as well. It's Christmas Day today and we're jumping away from our regular programming to get to a modern classic. One of the most faithful adaptations of Bram Stoker's novel, a fever dream of a gothic horror that has a timeless love story at its heart. I'm talking, of course, about the inimitable and endlessly rewatchable Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992. Directed by Francis Ford Coppola and with a star-studded cast that includes Gary Oldman in the titular role, Winona Ryder, Anthony Hopkins, Sadie Frost and Keanu Reeves. And that's without mentioning Tom Waits, Carrie Elvis, Richard E. Grant and a whole roster of other people that pop up. I'm joined in this episode by not one, but two extraordinary guests. Writer and actor Zora Barbie-Brown and writer and podcaster Becky Dark join me for a jumbo-sized episode about this... There's no other word for it. This absolutely batshit masterpiece with off-the-charts levels of intensity in every single aspect of it. From the performances, to the design, to the visual effects... Everything is a lot in every single possible way, and somehow it still works. You all know the story of Dracula, but this version is completely off the charts. And to be honest, it is probably what I'm going to be rewatching again on Boxing Day. This season is made possible with the support of our video, who bring you the very best in cult, horror, and genre films, specializing in definitive home entertainment editions. Their collection now spans more than 500 physical releases, and throughout this whole vampire season, we'll be picking a film for each episode to recommend from their vast collection. This week, our pick is Crash, a newly released, luscious, 4K restoration of the uncut version of David Cronenberg's infamous film, where technology and sexuality collide. And before we kick off with the episode itself, I'd just like to say it's been a wretched year for everyone. So I'd just like to thank everyone who's listened to the podcast, watched the movies, sent in emails, left reviews, sent us your thoughts on Twitter. We appreciate every single bit of it. It's the main reason we keep doing the podcast. So thank you. And if listening to us chat about horror movies has given you any kind of comfort in these truly cursed times, well, that's all we want. Earnest moment over. If you're new to the podcast, please know that we discuss the films in detail from the very beginning. So if you're averse to any conversation about a film before you watch it, consider this your spoiler warning. If you don't really mind, please enjoy a discussion about the extraordinary Bram Stoker's Dracula and... Merry Christmas, everyone.
Welcome, Azora, <laughs> Becky, to the first three-way podcast of the Final Cost podcast. Incredible. And very appropriate for this film, I'll say, like, Dracula's Three Brides, there's the three of us. It's very uh, on brand. I'm into it. Dracula's Three Brides. <laughs> yeah. This is so exciting. I didn't, um, I didn't even realise that this was your first your first online threesome Anna I would have imagined you'd done it before (laughs) well not on not on this podcast (laughs) we did one Becky on Halloween (laughs) oh I thought you had already forgotten because (laughs) clearly it did not mean as much to you as it did to me (laughs) look babe you know the state I was in at whatever time it was that we all hit go on Halloween night Thank goodness the audio wasn't working properly and we all had to kind of call it a day sooner rather than later so I could go and collapse. And to think that I only dressed up for Halloween for that 15 minute (laughs) recording. Amazing. So let's kick it off because this is probably, no joke, one of the episodes that I've been most excited about recording (laughs) and 100% the most requested one out of the whole season oh great fantastic so (laughs) let's start off with a question that i always start this with and tell me guys what is your relationship with bram stoker's dracula i've i've loved this film for for years and years i can't i can't remember i can't kind of bring it to mind the first time that i would have seen it i don't think it was in the cinema um but it's been you know part of my kind of go-to dracula stable for for i mean just donkey's years and i've seen it untold times um and it just it's it's become a kind of firm favorite a bit of a kind of comfort blanket of a film and one of those ones that because it comes up on tv quite regularly um because it's super long you can kind of turn on tv and it doesn't matter if it's like 15 minutes in or kind of 20 minutes from the end i'll just i'll watch it from whatever point i've kind of switched onto the channel from it's just very i find it very easy to watch i love it what about you, Zora? I similarly can't remember the first time I saw this film, um, but I remember, I remember it from being like a teenager, I guess, like, and because everyone's in it, and so it was one of those films that everyone had seen, and like, and I remember like very obvious things about it, <laughs> like um, the hair, um, Dracula's hair, like the terrible accents like um the amazing boobs um but the stuff once I read the book and re-watched it like when I was a bit older I was like oh my god there's like so much detail in this <laughs> like and I think that's like my first memory of it of it being like the only well the only Dracula film that I've really seen that I'm like oh this is like the book this is this is that one and it kind of it's gonna sound it sounds probably weird but like Watching the film kind of feels like reading the book, if that makes any sense. Mm. It's the same sort of like evokes the same sort of feeling. So I've been extra fond of it since then. Because I'm just like, oh, it's like the quintessential Dracula. Um, Yeah, so a big fan. That's so nice. Yeah, I remember this film being sort of like forbidden fruit for a long time. Because I remember the poster 
very vividly before I ever saw the film and it seemed a little it seemed really scary and it seemed kind of quite adult so even though I was watching a lot of horror films I had not yet seen this version of Dracula um because it just it almost seemed like porn and at the same time scary porn (laughs) and then when I finally watched it I I liked all the scary shit and I loved the the true to book uh, adaptation than it is but I think it's just re-watching it over the years that I understood it's like oh yeah no it is basically gothic porn <laughs> <laughs> essentially yes very sexy yeah. as Asara mentioned you know there's there's a lot of boobs, lot of boobs. Um, just just lots of kind of like gothic romance sexy stuff going mm. on um and yeah i mean the kind of the the faithfulness to the novel is something that i i think i've grown to appreciate the more dracula films that i've seen i always find it really fascinating when they will kind of truncate certain characters together or um i don't know like they'll change roles round so dracula will be um going after lucy as his eternal love or lucy will be like van helsing's daughter and stuff mm. like that and i always find it quite fun sort of playing almost like play a little game with it kind of like oh what have they changed in this one um mm. but i completely agree with this uh, the idea of you know it being like reading the book because even the structure of how it's kind of narrated and you get like mina's diary and Seward's recordings and all of that like obviously that's just that structure is even lifted straight out of um, Bram Stoker's novel Mm. and so yeah like it's it does feel quintessential yeah yeah and the film is very much kind of framed so much more as a doomed love story than it is a horror film isn't it oh what do you guys think of that well because essentially Dracula is the original story is that it is this this love story Basically, he's an incredibly dramatic man um, who was like very much in love and his his girlfriend died. So he was like, well, fuck everyone and and just decided to become like (laughs) evil incarnate for a while. And then after a while, he's just like, oh, actually, I just kind of love you a lot. And isn't that sad? Like, essentially, (laughs) it's just a love story, just like in this, like told in this way. But yeah, he's quite soft, really. He just loves Mina so much. Um, But yeah, so it's... um, I quite like that it's not really... Because I think there are other horror films, when they're about Dracula specifically, that kind of go for the, isn't he the scary Hmm. guy? And it's like, he's just just kind of sad, actually, mostly, more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about Dracula himself in this film, because... It's it's an unconventional Dracula choice. What do you guys make of of Gary Oldman as the lead? It really is, truly is. I think he's I think he's great. I think I think Gary Oldman does a really amazing job and there are so many kind of different versions of Dracula like even just within this one film. Like when we first meet him, he's so 
extreme often in in film adaptations that Mm. first meeting with dracula when he's kind of old and he hasn't had a lot of blood for ages and so he's kind of um he's sort of crumbling a bit um dehydrated yeah exactly um you know it's they do they kind of they make him up to to be old or elderly or look a bit sickly Mm. and pale but the the version of that dracula in this film is so extreme with that that kind of like sweetheart style hair like that crazy do he big big fan I just want to know at one point, what point? He's this like big hero. He's like this like knight, like wearing armor and stuff. Then he becomes Dracula and he's like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> like at what century, at what point was he like, I need a do. Like, and I need a really fucking long cloak. Um, because otherwise, what's the point? Like, I just want to know when that choice was made. I want to know who did his hair. Um, because I'm like, when, what, when did the style, when was this in fashion? <laughs> what, 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 like week in what century were you like, this is, this is my look. This is it. We peaked. This is it. Do you, do you know how I'd like rewatching this film after the, all of the experiences of this year and several lockdowns, it has been a completely different experience because now I was looking at that, at that dude, that super long um, nightgown cape loungewear that Dracula has. <laughs> and I was like, I, well, initially, years ago, I thought exactly that. Now I was like, oh, I see what you did there. You you were going for cozy. It's like, this is how I feel coziest in my castle <laughs> or was it just several that he, like, centuries. Got bored and he was like, I don't know, fucking do something with it. Like, and he, that's just what ended up and that's just how Jonathan Harker happened on him. I like to think that it's the brides that like they have like, right, yes. Drac, it's salon day. So... <laughs> Come on, babes! Like, put your, put your nails in the warm water, babes. We'll do we'll do your nails, and then how do you want it this time? And he's like, well, I I want it in the crazy sweetheart, like double the double beehive, obviously. obviously. And they're like, are you sure you don't want to try something different this time, babes? And he's like, no, 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 obviously, we've, obviously, we've, my we've signature about this. look. I just want this because I'm going to be. <laughs> I'm going to be flouncing around the co- the the castle in my enormous kimono that makes me look like a pool of blood. And you know, we've talked about this. We know that the double beehive is the only do that matches. <laughs> I love the idea of all of them like laying around, like just like playing with his hair, just putting like little braids in it, and like being like, oh, I don't know, this looks good. I'm just very I mean, curious what about else is it. There to do, I would love it to know the conversations like in production. Hmm when they were deciding on his costume and was it like, did it just keep escalating? Or someone's like, well, maybe you just have like a big quiff. And it's like, well, maybe. And like, cause it couldn't have been a fully, I can't imagine someone just drew this and was like, yeah, this is, this is the Dracula. <laughs> I feel like it must've been a meeting where it, like it escalated somehow and they were like, fuck it. Yeah. Let's go for it. Let's go nuts. He's just yeah. the very first time you see him as like Dracula in the movie, he's going to look insane. It's going to be great. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad they did it. <laughs> oh, I'm really glad. I think the costumes are probably arguably one of the best things about this movie. Yeah. And part of it is because they just feel so weird. Like, they don't feel like anything that belongs in any period in history or any genre ever. Yeah. Yeah. So the the costume designer is um, Aiko Ishioka. 
um, who is behind, I found out today when I was doing a little bit of Googling, she's behind the iconic makeup brand Shishido. Oh. I know. I know. Look at that. Um, but I, the, the, like, the costumes in it it's like when um you get there's something about japanese high fashion that is very sculptural and you get that so much in the the costumes in this film like his that now iconic like his red armor that looks like muscles it looks like when you had like biology class at school and you'd like They'd have they'd have the guy with no skin, you know, mm. um, or it looks like um, the other thing it always reminds me of is um, Robbie Williams in the rock DJ video. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Robbie Williams. <laughs> One of the most amazing I was reading up about her because um, she's done some she died in in 2012, I think, but she's done some amazing work and one of the best things I've ever read about her making the costumes for this film is that she wanted it to be uh, you know like as an adaptation of a, of a very well known novel but as if everyone was on LSD <laughs> and you know what as a brief I was like you nailed it absolutely nailed it yeah yeah the costumes are incredible because the especially the women's costumes because they just so Mina's a more traditional right so what the mm. idea of what we'd have I mean it's still not probably anything you'd see but more traditionally like structured so something we recognize then lucy's mm, yeah. are wild lucy's dresses yeah. i'm like i don't know if this would be appropriate in this society but she just wears and then there's a w- amazing scene where lucy like has sex with wolf dracula yeah and <laughs> and they're both in these like flowing chiffon like massive crazy dresses Neither of them wearing bras. Like there's the, like the amount of running Winona Ryder does, and you're just like, this is I. I don't know coming they're... coming down those steps yeah. with with yeah, just like the 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 thinnest um, <laughs> yeah. like like chiffon or silk over her boobs, and she like runs down really quickly yeah. to find out where loosely are, and they're just boing 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 boing, like, boing boing boing. Amazing, amazing. But that kind of looks like a, a music video, like that bit. Like this, it's mm. just. Like the stuff they did, they just really let themselves. Even the men, like the three different men, so like the doctor and then um, the Carrie was his character, and then um, uh, the cowboy. And mm-hmm. even that, you'd think there wouldn't be that much room necessarily to make them that different with men's costumes. And mm. they're so different mm. um, and so interesting and intricate. Um, yeah, it's done really, really well. Yeah, and then even um, when even when the count is kind of at his most like normal looking um when he's in london um he again i i think he probably does look a bit closer to what you might expect somebody of that period to be wearing but it's so kind of it's almost like steampunk and he has like those incredible like blue sunglasses on and like it it is anna it's like what you would it's like an adaptation but as if yeah like whoever has kind of dressed these people in the mornings has been Mm. on some kind of crazy (laughs) drugs it is but I think that's quite because what we're saying about being so close to the book so what's interesting Mm. about it is that the story's really true to it and then they've just kind of let themselves loose everywhere else they're like right so the story's accurate but they're Mm. wearing this fucking bonkers thing um 
which is, I mean, it works really well. I mean, the story is bonkers, so it works. Well. I really want those sunglasses he has as well, those little blue sunglasses. They're amazing. They're yeah. very cool. <laughs> They're super cool. And it's like, to go back to Dracula, the multiple versions of Dracula that we get mm. in this film are insane compared to so many other adaptations because i even watched the the behind the scenes making of the film uh, which is on youtube it has gary oldman literally tried to list all the different versions of dracula that he had to play and he loses count no he's like (laughs) the young wolf dracula the old wolf dracula the mist the rats the old one (laughs) the young romantic one the young angry one like there's <laughs> oh my so many God, yeah and what do you think about the many visual and kind of different type of powers that dracula presents in this film well i kind of i kind of like it that he has all these different versions of him which kind of gives you an insight into his power but also i like that they're all kind of like he's a really mangy old wolf and he's like a really gross looking bat. Like it's just not sexy actually at all. It's like it is a curse and he's like, he can mm. do all these things, but he's definitely fucking terrifying. He's not like a bat that's convincing. <laughs> You're like, oh, it's a bat. <laughs> it's like, oh no, there's a terrifying man bat. Um, And um, so I quite like that it kind of manifests in that way that this, this mm. really, they're really ugly creatures when he's something else and like his true form with his bouffant hair in the castle is this mm. like not this young youthful which is obviously like a a view of vampires we often get presented it's like they live forever but they're and they're really beautiful but the mm. fact that he's quite decrepit and yes he can look younger if he wants to but actually he just looks kind of awful all the time and it, so it also like um suggests that some of his power it takes some of his power to look younger to be mm. seen in that way so I quite like it as like a visual representation, which they don't really ex- explain or discuss. They never sit down and go, oh my God, he was like a bat before and now he's a wolf. It's just <laughs> kind of this, <laughs> he's just this like, which also makes it feel like he could be everywhere. He can be all these places, even that he's shadow, which I love. Mm. His shadow moves like independently of him. He's like all these forms of things. Um, and because he doesn't exercise his power so much in the film, you don't see him being necessarily like, really powerful like getting into like mad fist fights with anyone and being like super strong or anything like like again like a lot of other vampire stuff he this is it this is how we know he's powerful is because he Mm -hmm. can just do all this stuff he can just be any of these things yeah so i like it yeah definitely i think um i think one of the times that i find him most threatening is when he's kind of doing the like he's like he's in transylvania or he's Mm -hmm. on the ship but he's still able to kind of influence what's going on in London or kind of um, influence the weather or kind of make himself known to to Lucy and Mina. And those are the moments when you almost kind of feel like he's he's kind of this unstoppable force that he's Mm. he's coming almost across kind of space and time to come and get Mina and you know there's there's just he is sort of omnipotent there's like nothing Mm. that you can do to stop him so even when he is like big scary man bat 
they, you know, they get him into a corner, but then he just turns into rats or mm-hmm. you can't keep him away by locking Mina in, a, you know, Seward says to her, like, you'll be completely safe here, but obviously she's not or um, Renfield isn't safe just because he's in the asylum because Dracula mm. can turn into like the green smoke. Um, and it's it's the kind of combination, I think, of all of those things like trans- mm. transforming into animals, being able to kind of hypnotize people, being able to become non-corporeal, um, being able to sort of influence the elements and all of that. And it just really makes him like super formidable. Mm. Totally. Yeah. And it's also, I think, one of the things, as you both mentioned before, that makes it so much truer to the book, because in the book, there are like a lot of the rules around Dracula and what the limitations of his power have really been designed by movies. Yeah. So it's the unknowability and the unknowable vastness of his power, I think, that the film really captures really well. And it might look a little batshit crazy on screen, but (laughs) the spirit of it, I really like the Mm, fact that he can just kind of adjust himself based on what is needed and his power can transform itself or manifest itself into depending on his a lot of times emotional state. Like one of the things that I completely kind of um, misremembered about the film and I really clocked when rewatching it this time is when he when Mina stands him up at their meeting and he starts crying his whole face kind of becomes this very sad the sad in between version between the dushing young romantic dracula and the old withered um kind of decrepit monster that he is and it's a lot of it is kind of his his emotional state manifesting itself as the way that he looks to other people yeah what about the rest of the cast what do you make of the central love story between Dracula and Mina and Winona Ryder in that role. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that was so ominous. <laughs> I love Winona. Don't get me wrong. But the accents are so distracting. I'm literally like, I mean, just absolutely awful. Um, <laughs> and there's also a particular way that Keanu Reeves keeps saying Budapest. He's always like, Budapest. Budapest. Uh, <laughs> We're just going to go through Budapest. And I'm just like, I don't know what's happening here, but okay. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the way um, Winona says Lucy, where she's like, Lucy. Lucy. <laughs> yeah, I don't it's know who like, the <laughs> how, how many vowels has that got in it? It's like, Lucy. <laughs> but use. I don't know what accent coach told them about British use, but they're all <laughs> over the shop with those. Um, but <laughs> it kind of somehow works in this bonkers film you're just like okay <laughs> yes <laughs> i guess maybe this is how these particular british people sound um and i think you know what's quite funny is knowing winona for her whole mm. at this age now that we know her and through her whole career it's quite funny seeing her play like the innocent like mm. this like sweet innocent like next to the incredibly not innocent lucy <laughs> but um it's quite funny how like at the time this film was being made, that she was like the pinnacle of, which I guess you know she was, but like the pinnacle of like the wide-eyed like brunette mm-hmm. who's just very sweet and like just wants to get married to the man she loves. And it's all the more tragic that Fat Dracula like wants her because she was like so innocent before. Mm-hmm. Um, even though there's that scene where her and Lucy look at like book porn, 
Like they look at the little like Arabian nights. Yeah, and she's all like, Oh no, I would never but then she's literally like Ooh. and then and then go and kiss in the rain. Yeah, like, she's oh, like okay. Yeah, she's all turned on, right? And then yeah. she's like, Let's go and make out and it's like I mean this whole film could be read as like the like sexual awakening of Mina. Yeah. Exactly. Totally. She only she only marries Jonathan once Lucy is dead. I mean, you know, she's just like, oh well I guess that's not happening. <laughs> Back to plan A. <laughs> like for all Lucy's flirting, I guess it wasn't me in the end anyway. Um and even <laughs> how passionate she gets once she's like drunk from Dracula and stuff. Mm. The way she she's like this wild, like her hair's down and she's wild mm. and she's like will do anything for him and she's really passionate and vocal and um and it's really interesting to see that change. And I actually think she did the scenes with her and Gary Oldman were like are some of my favourites, I think. There's like really good chemistry between them, especially mm. the scene where he like finally gets to her. Yeah. That yeah. seems really beautiful actually, because yeah. he keeps trying to mm. stop himself. And it's already too late. He's already got to, he's too late because he made it too late. But then he's like, oh no, I couldn't. And it's like, he did this though. But I think those scenes are really beautiful. And I actually think they had like really nice chemistry, mm. which I wouldn't, if if I hadn't seen this film and you told me like Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder are going to be like, I would be like, okay. Like I wouldn't <laughs> really see it. Like Keanu and Winona makes a lot more sense in our heads. But actually, yeah. I mean... I don't really um, care about them yeah. being a couple. No, no, it's funny, isn't it? Like, t- it's it, if I'm not watching the film and I think about it, my brain tries to tell me that it's Winona and Keanu who are like the iconic 1992 like romantic on screen couple. Mm-hmm. But you're so right. Like the the chemistry between um, Winona Ryder and Gary Oldman is amazing, and. It, it works so well because you only get sort of because it's such a dense film and there's so much going on and and you know it is kind of like the book written in these like little kind of snapshots and sections you don't get a huge amount of time spent with Mina and Dracula but because their chemistry is so strong then when it is the end and she's like drunk from him and so she is completely focused on like saving him even though he's like killed her best friend um and like almost killed her husband slash fiance at the time um you you believe it like you you do kind of understand like why she is suddenly so hell-bent on like going to his aid and Mm. um will sort of throw away you know this otherwise comfortable life that she could have had back in London and and it's the chemistry between them that when you get to that point you're like yeah I yeah I get it yeah you believe her intoxication and I think with other Mm. characters like Keanu when he's at the castle it's I don't really believe he's like mesmerized by this man and like by these brides and like it just kind of seems a bit you, it, the intoxication doesn't feel and in the book it's really potent like he really mm. can't leave like Jonathan Harker really can't leave leave there and he doesn't really mm. understand what's happening he knows that something bad's happening mm. I will say on the way to the castle like a gypsy woman gives him a, 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 a crucifix and I was like listen if you're in the middle of like that I don't know where in the dark and there's been wolves and shit and a gypsy gives you a crucifix and like warns you about where you're going like fucking take the hint like <laughs> I I was like I would have been gone I'd have been like oh my god no I will get another job 
I don't know. <laughs> like, this is bad, bad omens. But um, you don't really... <laughs> I don't really get from him the intensity. So you don't get that from the beginning, the intensity mm. of being around this man and being in this castle and actually being really just intoxifying. But you'd get that with Winona Ryder's performance mm. and like you see it steadily grow. Like the more time she spends with him, you see that she's actually just kind of at a loss when he's around, mm-hmm. um, which is, is great. Um, yeah, so I think she did a really good job. You're so right. And I think part of that and one of the kind of the really interesting parts about kind of unspoken bits about the book is kind of Jonathan's sort of attraction to Dracula as well. Yeah. Um, And whether that's a romantic or a sexual attraction. And you don't really get that from Keanu at all. And in fact, kind of to echo both of you, the... The attraction between Keanu, uh, Keanu, um, Jonathan and Mina isn't as strong because it doesn't feel as carnal as well. Whether mm. as Dracula, especially throughout this whole, he's already kind of in love with his long, long lost um, fiance, and again, problematic that he's projecting that onto this <laughs> this other girl who has nothing to do with any of them. But their attraction to each other is kind of undeniable. And it kind of mm-hmm. the, the chemistry that they both have is so both kind of cautious and then fully going into it. It's so explosive and so carnal. And the fact that Mina also quite literally lets her hair down, but also just completely throws out all social decorum out the window and literally is ripping her dress open. She will do whatever it takes yeah. to protect or to get back with Dracula and that kind of scene in the bedroom between the both of them where he appears and kind of is wrestling with whether to turn her into a vampire or not all of it is just such delicious chemistry and it Mm -hmm. makes it so much more impressive considering that they did not get along on set at all oh no way yeah I was reading up about it and apparently they got along and at some point something literally from one day to another apparently shifted and they're really good friends now, Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder by all accounts, but apparently on set after a certain point they just like did not get along and I'm not sure what part of the the production or which parts of the film, but it's incredible. But I think sometimes that can help because there's still an intensity there like if you're just kind of, I don't know, like, I mean, like Dirty Dancing, with Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey notoriously not liking each other at all. But mm. I was like, but maybe that's just makes it like, I don't know, maybe there's still like energy there that we're seeing and yeah. maybe that's what it is. Um, because when you're just like fine with everyone, it's like actually you have to dig a bit deeper. But if there's already energy, when it's negative, it's like there, it's intensely there in yeah. every scene. So maybe yeah. it helps. What about the rest of the characters? I'm particularly interested. I mean, poor baby Keanu is just not not pulling his weight. And curse. (laughs) I love Keanu Reeves so much. I thought you were crying then. I almost am. I'm just like, (laughs) Keanu, you deserve better than this. Or like, you can do better than this. Like, I love him. You know, know, Keanu is Keanu Reeves, right? Yeah. But he is is bad in this film. Like, really bad. Not without charm. I think I can still kind of enjoy the performance from from this kind really? of yeah. No, seriously, <laughs> I can. Like, I it doesn't like it's distracting. Distracting is a fantastic word for it, and there is no denying it's awful. But mm. 
it's because it's Keanu Reeves probably and like you just you just know that he's a nice guy and that he is a good actor he's just like badly cast um and out of you know a sea of terrible accents his is the most terrible Oof. of all of them um so i can still enjoy it and it's got charm but yeah he's poor keanu <laughs> he's poor. doing his best and i wow. think but almost part of me almost like i mean like it wouldn't work if he was a more charismatic character it mm. kind of works. He's just kind of like non-interesting. You're yeah, like, totally. well, of course Mina's distracted. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> why wouldn't she be? There's yeah. one but, um, There's one moment um, when it's when they're getting married and he's all like, he's got his bad, like, grayed hair oh, that looks yeah. like it's literally been like sprayed just on. Like, yeah. Like spray, <laughs> like spray gray. So um, bad. And, you know, he's he looks all sort of like, mm, I'm sad and like, mm, I've had a horrible time. And he's all grey and sort of and thin and miserable. And there's this one moment where she just sort of looks over at him on this moment that she's been waiting for for so long to like marry this man that she's deeply in love with. And you just see it like flash across her face like, what the fuck am I doing? Like Count, Count Dracula's back in London waiting for me with his wolf and his amazing blue sunglasses. What am I doing here? <laughs> and it just feels like she kind of has to follow through at that point right she's just exactly. like he's like come marry me in this like convent and she's like oh i guess okay. <laughs> <laughs> um um also anthony hopkins anthony hopkins in this film who just feels like old-timey hannibal lecter in this film he's so bonkers like <laughs> I like, I'm just like, this is like one of Hannibal Lecter's like ancestors, clearly. Uh, <laughs> because he's just so jolly about everything. Like there's I an amazing so scene right after they cut off Lucy's head yeah. and then it cuts to them cutting the roast beef. And like Jonathan and Mina are sitting there all like somber and he's just like having a jolly old time. And he's just like, yeah, she's a vampire, got a red. And it's just like... <laughs> He's so manic. I I love this performance. I love him. He has probably the best lines in the films just because of his delivery. He just like decided to be, he's like, this is a comedy. It's like, I just want to cut off her head and cut off her heart. What? What? He's so good. That's something weird. He's just so callous. Like you can just see every time he says something, you can see the others being just like, what? Like, are you aware of what's happening here? And he's just like, la, 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 la. (laughs) I don't know if this is true, but the way that I would like to think that this was filmed is that Anthony Hopkins and Francis Ford Coppola just had a chat by themselves and they never warned any of the other actors. And so all of those reactions were just... Is Tony okay? Because <laughs> he, he's like in his own film. He's like, this is Van Helsing's film. Um, fuck Dracula. Fuck all of you guys. This is my film. Like he literally walked in like, I'm here. And he comes in like quite late. And it's just really funny how like boldly he just takes over everything. I'm like obsessed with it. The fact that he, the male cast in this is stacked. And the fact that he walks in and overshadows everything everybody is just mm-hmm. i mean of course he does but i love it I love it's him so, so good much it's so film. manic i'm like you're you're crazy um and 
let's talk as well about before we go into Lucy, who is another mm. performer who is give, like dialed it up way over like past eleven. She's like on like seventeen in this film. <laughs> But before we do that, just to pick up on what you were saying, Azora, with the male cast, aside from Gary Oldman, Anthony Hopkins, and Keanu, poor baby Keanu, we've got, like, literally everyone, everyone, everyone. else. Tom Waits as Renfeld, and the suitors, Lucy suitors, are literally Carrie Els, a favorite, um, Richard E. Grant, yeah. who I always forget is in this film. Yeah. <laughs> And bless him, I will never remember his name, the American. The American name. guy, whose yeah, name is... Yeah, the Texan. The Texan. The Texan, the cowboy. I'm so, I'm so sorry <laughs> to that poor actor. I mean, it's it, it literally is, is not our fault that he was cast in a film with nothing but names. <laughs> what do you make of the of the of of those guys? I kind of like they become like this weird little trio. Like... They're all after Lucy, and then the minute she picks one, they're like, "All right, we'll just all be pals anyway." Um, <laughs> they always like kind of arrive together and leave together. I'm like kind of obsessed yeah. with it that they're like these little <laughs> friends. I'm like, "What's the nature of you guys? As fr- is it just Lucy?" Like I'm so confused, but I I love that they form this little group, like little boy band. I know, and, Rich- and like Doctor Seward, Richard E. Grant starts referring to her new fiance because she's like picked. Um, Lord Arthur so he starts mm. calling him Art like they're like best mates <laughs> and then at the end when um, Quincy gets killed um, like Richard E. Grant like Dr. Seward he sheds like genuine tears it's like oh it's this totally cute little bromance that they've got going on I it's love so it sweet. she brought mm. them all together she yeah. I mean Lucy really is a wonder she brought them all together and now they're all little pals it's all very <laughs> cute and just the amount that like when they're all giving her blood and they're all just like oh man like oh god lucy is gonna i don't know they're just all really involved (laughs) (laughs) with her well-being so let's talk about lucy i love lucy oh my god i love love her her. so much everything everything about her i love that she's like she's like really kind of sexual but like really knowing about the fact that she's really sexual. And so every time she says something about like, oh, it's so big, please will you let me hold it? She'll like look over her shoulder and like wink at Mina. Like She's like <laughs> Benny Hill. Yeah, she took is. over the Dracula story. <laughs> In fabulous dresses. I love that her wedding dress is basically uh, like Elizabeth the first right, costume. With her weird ruffle. Weird, so like weird. enormous rough, yeah. and then obviously because she's got that shock of red hair as well, she just looks like Queen Elizabeth the mm. First. Um, and she, the way that she's just like she's so physical when she's kind of either ill or when she's like humping the kind of bat wolf on the like table. Um, like she just sort of arches and writhes and her boobs are always out and like she's just like you can't well I can't I cannot take my eyes off her she, and you get and which is amazing casting because you get why all these men would be literally falling over themselves mm, yeah and how even they're not even bothering fighting with each other because just they just want to be like in her presence it's not even a fight really between them they all just want to mm. be around enough that maybe she chooses one of them mm-hmm. which is like so telling of her power and the fact that she gets you know, this happens to her 
I don't know, she gets like brought low by it because she's so powerful just in mm. that, in like enjoying her womanhood, enjoying how beautiful she is and like how rich she is and this control she has over these men for her then to be like ruined like by one in a way that's like, she doesn't even get to enjoy being a vampire really. She just gets ill and then immediately gets like mm. stabbed in the heart and her head cut off and you're just like, oh, she didn't even get to be like this sexy cool vampire for like a minute. Um, like, you know, really... I love how absolutely um, aggressively horny she is <laughs> towards everyone. And it's one of the, like, it's completely anachronistic, obviously, but that's kind of the fun of it. Like, when all of the suitors come and visit her, she literally puts them in a row. <laughs> <laughs> she greets them, has these sexy exchanges with every single one of them. And as they, like, queue up in front of the others as well. So, but she's still, she's like, got this sort of charisma that if she's directing in at someone that person feels like they're the only person in the room yeah yeah and i like so much of that comes through the performance she's just and the the costuming and the design of her like with this good beautiful red hair and just the way that she moves around every room she does that with mina as well like if if she's not like paying attention to mina mina sort of just kind of fades into the background a little bit yeah and but i then- also think Sorry. It's nice that it's not an act like that. Mm. That personality is not just for men. She's literally always like that. Yes. Even when she's sick and they come to see, she's like, "Oh, give me mm. a kiss." Like she, that's just who she is. And yeah. I like that they didn't make it a thing that she did for the attention of men. She just liked being mm. like that. And she would be the same whether they were there or not. And I love that about this character mm. because I think there would be kind of like an idea that she's like smart and like figured out how to. Mm use this thing to like get what she wants and it's way more innocent than that she just Mm. is beautiful and sexy and men love her and she just enjoys it Mm. um i really like that about her yeah totally and i love i do love the relationship between um lucy and mina as well that you know you get that um you get that idea that they have been friends forever. You know, they are very kind of tactile with each other. And sure, it does sort of tip over into a slightly sort of titillating kissing in the rain thing. But it feels, you know, when they're sort of sitting next to each other on a bench, sort of talking about their boyfriends and like holding Mm -hmm. hands or when Mina is um, like tending to her when she's unwell and stuff, like that kind of physical closeness that you have to girlfriends when you have just known each other forever um, and you're so familiar. Like, I think think that that really comes across beautifully from Winona Ryder and Sadie Frost. I think it's, I think their friendship in this film is really nice. And I have to say as well, even though she doesn't get to be a vampire for that long, Undead Lucy is probably like one of the truly scary elements of this film. Like the design of her with that like chalky white makeup and the blood running down her face and that her wedding dress, which is so creepy, so creepy when she's um, been turned already. And that like sort of going back into her tomb after she's fed fuck that that genuinely scared me like i remember that from the trailer they must have filmed that backwards right because the the way that she then sort of stops and like closes her mouth and closes her Mm. eyes it's it's very sort of lynchian um but the thing about the costume because obviously they've put her in the wedding dress Mm -hmm. but she's got this kind of like cowl on like like a sort of i don't know like a hat 
but it completely covers that beautiful red hair mm. that is such a kind of symbol of like vibrance and life and you know she's she sort of shines through these piles of red curls and then obviously mm. when she's like undead lucy there's you just don't see that at all so you get that like the white hat the very very pale face the white dress with that huge mm. kind of collar on it and then as soon as she has like um red round her mouth it's just like that's all you can focus on yeah yeah she literally looks like a doll in that part doesn't she she looks like she's yeah. made of china yeah it's yeah. still, still so beautiful and you do get i guess a glimpse of because there's a bit where she says to like her fiance, like, give me a kiss, like the Lucy line, give me a kiss. <laughs> and he always, he wants to. And she's got the fangs. <laughs> give me a kiss. <laughs> you get that, like that feeling of that, that power that she maybe would have had. Because imagine mm. that she was just this like woman who was like, imagine Lucy out in the world, like just killing off men. Mm. I mean, she had a, a ball, a great time. I want to see that spin off. Yeah. I feel really bad for her. Like it's a real shame she didn't get to do that, but, um, but yeah, it's quite nice you see that little glimpse of it. But I just wish she got longer because she's such a great character, and I was like, it'd be amazing mm. to see her as like proper vamp, like proper knowing what she can do and like flexing her powers and stuff. Yeah, because yeah. even I guess, but um, when it comes to women who are vampires in this mm. film, anyway, it's um we see Lucy for a minute, and then it's a bride, obviously. Yeah who were just kind of just hanging out in that bedroom, like trying to have sex with strangers. Like that's literally it. Like mm. <laughs> just waiting for like a man to come. And it's, um, they don't really say anything. They don't. Yeah. yeah it's, and it's, it's such like to echo what you were saying before is, or like Lucy is just very charismatic with everyone. Mm. Like it's her personality, not just her body and her beauty that attracts the attention of everyone. Because the brides of Dracula, like even the way that their costumes are designed, like they're these incredibly stunning women, but they're always presented like half naked. So yeah. it's just already like we're just we're just hot. Like yeah. that's how they sedu try to seduce Jonathan. It, they sort of, I mean, I got to say that scene is like mesmerizing where they sort right. of appear yeah. from different parts of the bed, the bed and it's all like, like satin yeah. glittery <laughs> sheets it's like that is what is that is that like a double king or what? <laughs> <laughs> one of them's monica bellucci i mean, I mean yes. what am i supposed to do with myself it, and like when they're going at his nipples ah, oh, it's, it's there's <laughs> it's a nipples lot first then breasts then face <laughs> there's one bit where like one of them she has her fangs out already and there's blood already and i was like mm. does she bite his neck like there's one bit where i'm just like i'm not sure entirely sure what's happened here like i'm not entirely sure she's like gonna have a little chomp down there or if like she's actually just like going down on him no i'm pretty which, sure she does which, bite his dick because there's one she bit does where right he, like he reacts very violently he reacts in a way that i would imagine keanu reeves would react if somebody had just bitten his dick oh, no. is that why his hair goes white <laughs> or was it just a, a very toothy blowjob from a vampire <laughs> we'll never know but like the director's but... i want the director's cut where that scene is included that's what i want but also in that scene <laughs> just to drag it fully into the gutter one of my favorite bits of that scene is when there is an extreme close-up of one of the brides and i think it's monica i think it's monica just licking a nipple 
Yeah. Just very, very slowly. I was like, did we need, did we need 20 seconds of this? It's like the nipple is so pointy and the camera is so close <laughs> and her tongue is I, so long. It's just like, that's a whole... I don't, th- I don't think that's Keanu's nipple. Just going to put it out there. Ooh, I think that's a stunt, stunt nipple. Stunt nipple. Stunt nipple. Wow. Imagine getting that job. Imagine knowing that's your nipple. Wow. <laughs> but... <laughs> And I love the bit, like, when Dracula comes in and, like, berates them for, like, having sex with the guests. And he, like, they, like, squirm away. And then two of them are joined together. Yeah, that bit's amazing because it's very kind of, um, it's very Ray Harrahausen, that. like yes. kind of It's, like, jerky and kind of, yeah. um, like, almost, like, stop motion. Yes. Um, the way, yeah. And again, like, one of them sort of scuttles backwards on her own and sort of goes Mm. up on the wall like a little spider and then two of them are just kind of like melded together like this kind of sort of fucked up circus act it's yeah amazing yeah Yeah. that's not how sex between women works francis but sure (laughs) that's that's not what happens (laughs) that's not what happens (laughs) but also i love that jack that's his line he's like oh my god girls like no no Please stop having sex with Jonathan. He's my like lawyer or whatever. He's real sick, whatever the fuck he is. Like, <laughs> please, we've got business. I love that he kind of like tells them off and yeah. like gives them a baby. Yeah, he gives them a baby as a snack. Yeah. It's like, just calm down. Yeah, it's like, a what snack. are the rules in this house? What's, what's I bought the nuggies line? here. <laughs> like, I would love to know what Dracula's house rules are. Like, no, when I bring guests home. <laughs> Please don't have sex with them. Slash eat them. Please. <laughs> they're like the worst. They're like the worst housemates that you've met on like um, Gumtree or whatever. It's like, dude, mm. I keep bringing my friends back, and you're sleeping with literally all of them. Can you just not? Here, eat this baby. <laughs> I just and speaking of it. babies, can we just talk about quickly how fucking hilarious it is when um when undead. Lucy comes back with the little toddler and they oh, make yeah. her jump and she just like drops it on the floor. <laughs> Absolute unceremonious. Just like clonk. And then not, none of them pick it up, right? No, no, no. Dr. Seward runs over, I oh, think, in oh, okay. his uh in his like morphine doctor state, and he's like, Oh. It's too funny. <laughs> Guess this is, you know, some head trauma happening right here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Future serial killer alert. <laughs> Maybe that's Hannibal Lecter. Maybe that maybe, baby maybe. gets adopted by Van Helsing and yes. eventually starts the lineage of Hannibal starts Lecter's. Starts the lineage of, because, I mean, there's definitely a connection. 100%. Please sure write that it. fanfic, please. <laughs> but I just, I also love that no one ever talks about, like, I know he was, like, under, like, the bride's spell and stuff, but he, gets, he comes back and he's like, it's awful time, it's fucking terrible over there in that castle it's just weird and horrible he's like i also had sex with three other women hope it's okay like, <laughs> like no i had uh multiple for- foursomes yeah also might have eaten some human babies just but you know it's no big oh, deal apart from that like, we should 100 percent get married totally fine uh <laughs> well, those, those bite marks also, on my dick no it's nothing it's nothing like, no no, one's no. Talk- no. that was fine. always there you wouldn't yeah. know, Mina. You just don't know. <laughs> yeah, all all penises have bite marks. Obviously, you wouldn't yeah. know that because you've no, never seen totally one. Totally normal. This is entirely normal. Completely fine. That's you've just never seen a penis before. He'd be so offended if he found out that Mina had like made out with Dracula. She's like, "How dare you? How dare yeah. you be unfaithful right. to me? I've so had such like... a horrible time having sex having sex with vampire Monica Bellucci." <laughs> but oh, I was thinking of you, babe. So I was what... thinking of you. 
the whole time. So I feel like her making out with Dracula is like an actual secret. Whereas he just comes, but he's like, come marry me over here anyway. Let's not even talk about what happened to that castle. He just kind of like skirts over it. And he's like, oh, like, I think at one point he just like describes me as like these devils or something, like something mm. bad. But I'm just like, I'm not going to mention how hot they are, Keanu. You're not going to be like, oh, naked all the time. They look fucking banging. But... <laughs> evil women very evil he just like very much closes i'm like i want this should be like scandalous i want the scandal <laughs> of him doing this to happen to reach london but apparently he's he's gray haired now he suffered too much so no one brought it up everyone just let him have that one yeah right, right, right. yeah you know let him have that <laughs> before we move on i just wanted to bring up another one another excellent delivery of a line by sir anthony hopkins when he calls lucy the devil's concubine <laughs> <laughs> but so doesn't he drama. say it kind of jolly he's so <laughs> drama i love it <laughs> so <laughs> and he's just like he's just he's literally like yes vampires exist like yes and you're just like oh my god you're so chipper about this so thrilled that you get to like go murdering vampires now i love it <laughs> he's so excited to be cutting off heads yeah can't wait whole life is waiting for this <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the filmmaking of it because you both brought it up and across kind of different scenes but this film is weird for its time and even now like it feels like a love letter to filmmaking as much as it is to the 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 book of the book dracula because a lot of the effects are very practical uh like they they seem very old-fashioned very old-timey and they're also sometimes kind of placed at odd times in the films like what did you make of this this the multiple of the assortment of like filmmaking techniques that are used it's bonkers it's like francis Ford coppola is just like yep it exists let's do some of that so shadow puppets tick <laughs> weird fades tick kind of strange like superimposed blue fire yeah we'll have some of that um <laughs> stop motion yeah okay um like overlay a circulatory system onto mina sure let's have one of them oh look should we he's gonna go to like the cinemascope or something should we have a bit where it looks like cinemascope yep let's have that it's just and then it's like oh beast cam like there's a lot of like real quick kind of like shoop, shoop, shoop. and then everybody yeah. runs backwards and like crazy close-ups. It's just, it's an, I mean, yeah, masterclass. It's literally like he's kind of gone down the tick list and he's like, mm. yes, I would like one of each, please. <laughs> yeah, it, it it feels like that, right? Because you there's all these different parts. You're like, it feels like several different films. Mm. It feels like several, like I was saying about the girls when like Lucy had sex with the vampire the first time and like, it looks like a music video. It looks like some dramatic, yeah. like, music video from maybe the mm. 80s or something um and then yeah the bit where he's like it's all like film grainy film yeah. <laughs> and you're like why and it never comes back <laughs> and then like yeah i love it though i love that it kind of you just don't know where this film's gonna go at any point mm. it can literally do they just at the from early on i think they set the bar of like oh it's gonna be weird and weird stuff's gonna happen and you actually don't know at any point what's going to pop up and they think they kind of get you into that 
like into that feeling like quite early on so you're not Mm. really ever going like what you're just like okay you just you're just along for the ride it definitely feels like that like you're just kind of on board (laughs) with the weirdness of it all from the very beginning and you Anna said you sent these articles right about it before and he read one I think the New York Times one Mm. and they're talking about how they did all of it on sound stages which also affects everything because nothing's really real Mm. which also everything's a really a set like a built set which also brings a different film to everything because you're controlling every element of it Mm. um but I think it works really well I'm actually kind of glad they did that I think it would have been hot if there were suddenly like bits that felt really realistic yeah (laughs) it would have been like taking you out of it um so I think that was a really smart decision yeah, yeah, I agree. It's... I think, you know, in The Omen, when it's so it's all so much of it is shot like on location and you're kind of down by the Thames or in a churchyard or in the, you know, in a big sort of country house and all of that. And then there's that one scene where um, where the two guys are at the graveyard looking for Damien's mum in the grave. And it's so obviously on a soundstage and it sticks out like an absolute sore thumb and it kind of mm. feels like really kind of odd. And like it, it seems to even like I know, you know, sound and stuff is a lot of that is done kind of post-production, but it almost even sounds different. Like the sound is damper and kind of Mm. it's just it's so it's such an odd moment in an otherwise sort of very kind of open on location film and Mm. I think if you'd mixed up parts of this film with kind of filming on location or being in like you know filming on the moors or in the cities and stuff Mm. and then having those much more kind of artificial feeling parts I think you wouldn't have maybe been quite along for the ride so much but it really does like create this world with that like artificial feeling that Mm. when you then have like beast cam or eyes in the sky or like blue fire it's like yeah all right (laughs) yeah makes sense yeah and i think it's it's also that thing where someone set somewhere like as like london even london then there'd be things you recognize and i quite now this is an odd comparison but st- bear with me it reminds me of the muppet christmas carol where it's like it's london <laughs> we're not we're not actually going to show you anything you recognize from london it's like we made a London for you, little oh, cute London, and that's what this feels like to me. Like in the same <laughs> Jim Henson and Francis Ford Coppola, in the same. <laughs> but like that's that's what it feels like. It's like yeah, if you're gonna do it, that comparison shouldn't work, but it does. It works. So I know, <laughs> as soon as you said it, I was like, I was like, what? And then I was like, no, she's right. <laughs> it's like that same feeling of like it's London, but we're not gonna like really. We've told you it's fine. Like, and it's that kind of insulated. <laughs> it feels like a world like almost in like a snow globe or something do you mean like it's this insulated Mm -hmm. version of london which i quite like about this it has the same feeling um and in that article as well i was really the guy who was interviewing him was talking about how laid back francis for coppola because it was like at the time this film was about to come out and he'd had like like bad reviews or whatever from films before um and he just was like really chill about it and it was um there's something nice about a filmmaker like that who's not 
precious. And I think mm-hmm. that comes across in the film. I think yeah. you feel like he's having fun, but also you feel like he is a bit like, yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's try this. Let's film it this way. Let's make this like over the top and yeah, let's go nuts with it. Like considering he was trying to make something really close to the book mm-hmm. that he was still able, there was he was still relaxed enough to not be like a stickler for like, I don't know, everything being this like one cohesive, like very straight down the line story or I don't know, these characters being very like realistic in the sense of their reactions to things or mm. like they could like be over the top and it could be more dramatic and gothic and beautiful. Um, I actually remember I when I, I worked in a cinema in, in New York oh, ages ago uh, in Paris and we had the premiere of his film Youth Without Youth there and he didn't watch it he just stood downstairs in the concessions with his hands in his pocket just like (laughs) like, reading that article he was like so chill we were like uh, we were obviously like hello missing home and he was like hey um and he was just like very like just the most like happy relaxed man and Mm. so like reading that interview like made me really happy because like oh you can that comes across and it it just sounds like yeah he would love it to be a good film Mm. like that people like but he had fun making it. <laughs> That's really all that matters to him. <laughs> I think this film is like one of the big, be- the beginning probably of that later stage of Coppola's career that irks mm. a lot of people, like Youth Without Youth, like Twixt, like films that are just batshit crazy, like films <laughs> yeah. that make no very little narrative sense and. Uh, they're not supposed to really i don't think mm. um i don't know maybe i just didn't get them but like visually <laughs> they're very much like trying things out and trying out techniques and doing things that feel right perhaps for the story or what he wanted to experiment with at the time and a lot of it also comes through in this one like very much anchored by an established story a script that's not his which i think really benefits his work when he's not necessarily the screenwriter i don't think his biggest Mm. strength is as a screenwriter but just being able to visually throw a lot of shit at the wall and in that in that new york times article that came out at the time he had this like really wonderful way of talking about his actors as like the jewels of the production and that being one of the the reasons why he wanted to invest much more of the budget onto costume design and makeup as opposed to like going on set like going on elaborate locations or building hyper elaborate sets or whatnot because he wanted them to shine and the background to kind of not being as relevant as long as they were really really shining through the Mm -hmm. screen which is just so true. I mean, I you know, they are. They're like these shining jewels. These costumes that they're wearing are all in these mm. beautiful colours. You know, red is used so effectively in it. And, mm. um, you know, all of the detail really kind of is on the people, you know. And I just absolutely love this idea that he was so grounded in the story mm. and because they'd almost kind of made the decision that it was going to be a faithful adaptation of the book that as you say Asara like it just almost gave him the license to go big and bonkers on the costumes and on the effects and even even down to like the accents and stuff it was like it doesn't have to be 
super faithful to the time you know the story is faithful to the um source text and so Mm. yeah this kind of license to just go big on everything else i absolutely love that and i think it's kind of like dracula at this point is kind there are certain stories um like shakespeare where you can they're so well known Mm. In the mm-hmm. sense that they actually become timeless and you can actually just set them. The time doesn't actually need to be specific. Even if it's kind of vaguely olden times, it like it doesn't actually need to be like, it's this year or it's yeah. this specific. I know they have the year pop up and stuff, but it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. because it's, it's more about the story than the place of it being, like yeah. w- where it is or when it is. And so I think that's a tale that's kind of timeless, which serves it well because he could just be like, it's it's not a new story it's not something yes it might be some people's first relation like um interaction with it but it's not a new story it's a story that people are going to hear over and over and over again so actually to make it memorable you need to do something different and you need to be more interesting and find other ways to be creative Mm. with this story that is old and um he does that and I think I've said on this podcast before how much I love practical effects I love them and I think they for the most part especially when it comes to horror just work better yeah and because it it feels visceral it's something you can you can see that it's something those characters in the scene can touch it's something that could actually like come at them or touch them or so I and I think it works really well his son did the the effects right Roman Coppola yeah yeah even the overlay stuff, like the, when they do like the camera tricks where mm. it's like picture of a picture or I'm like, it works really well. These are, they're not like, they're called like camera tricks or whatever, but it's mm. like, they're not the things that people did because they had no other way of doing them. They're, they're like really innovative, like ways people figured out how to do this thing when there wasn't CGI and whatever, whatever. So I'm like, it's actually really clever and amazing and it's taken like people really thinking about it it wasn't like a lazy answer to an issue it was a well thought out one Mm -hmm. and I I kind of wish it would come back a bit more because I'm just like it's actually a really good like practice I think especially when it comes to horror because like the blue flames and stuff is so it makes it so weird than rather if it was just like some CGI fire it's like that looks like real fire and it's weird I don't understand why it's this circle why it's blue like the the eyes in the sky that's cuts from like certain eyes to other eyes it's like him as a bat or a wolf or a do you mean it's like it feels even the fact that it's real rats it feels um really nice it feels really visceral like you can touch it yeah um and there's something really lovely about it and it it, it's true the set kind of doesn't matter because it's not like a thing that has anything to do with in any particular places people are like yes they're in this country or that country but the rooms they're in don't matter yeah really that's not what you're watching that's not what you're paying attention to at any point in this film you have no clue like when you have the two two actors in the screen like having a conversation you don't really know what's going on in the background which i noticed this time like when mina and dracula are talking on the street the first time they meet Mm -hmm. i was like i have no idea i know there's a lot of people in the scene but i have no clue like you don't spot any one extra there's none that stand out and they're all doing individual stuff but i'm just like it literally is this like white noise because it's about these two people it works really i was like definitely worth spending his money on that (laughs) (laughs) on the costumes and makeup it taps in beautifully to that like magnetism 
that he's trying mm. to evoke or transmit in some way. Like one of the things I think is probably so difficult about a, about adapting Dracula, considering especially that there's been so many different adaptations and so many of them have been so beloved. And, you know, it's one of those roles that some actors have become very attached to or kind of very identified with. I'm, of course, like thinking of, you know, Bella Lugosi, mm. of Sir Christopher Lee, Frank Langella. Like uh, one of the difficulties I think of uh, of adapting that character is actually conveying that intense, hypnotic, almost supernatural charisma and effect that he has on people. And that's a lot to ask, I guess, of an of mm. a single person. And a lot to demand of a chemistry between two or more actors. So, mm. like, Coppola making all those choices all feed into creating this, of casting that spell that Dracula is able to cast on people around him. Yeah. And I think with um, almost kind of marrying those two points, you know, with the with the practical makeup and with Gary Oldman's performance mm. is all of these different iterations of Dracula that you get in this film. So whether it's um, man bat or the kind of wolf or when he's old in the castle with the great hair, through all of that, all of the heavy practical makeup, mm. you you can see the character, you can see the performance. And Gary Oldman is such an amazing actor that it doesn't matter that they've kind of caked him in all of these prosthetics etc you can still see the performance behind all that and rather than like nowadays you know if you think about say in the mcu all of that um kind of the the, the face effects would be done with like motion capture but you know you can see you can see that that is on his face that beneath that is dracula and i think that that then makes it so much more powerful when you see him in all of these different guises because you can see that it is like his face transformed um, and that just wouldn't work if they weren't using practical makeup um another weird comparison i'm so sorry obviously my brain's already in christmas but it's like jim carrey oh the, the grinch. grinch yes a hundred percent Right, because you it it wouldn't have worked any other way. It needed to be his face yeah. under all that makeup because it needs to be a Jim Carrey performance. That's the only like, that's why you cast him, and it's that same feeling of just like yes, it's like but you can tell there's like so much going on. Mm-hmm. Even in that moment, like towards the beginning, when Jonathan's with him, and he's like having dinner. I think it's the first night Jonathan arrives in, and they're having dinner. And um, what does he says something? He laughs at something that 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 um, Dracula says, like he kind of like snickers at it Mm. and he grabs a a sword and without really seeing that much of his face and even in this like decrepit old makeup, you see that flash of anger that, I mean, Keanu doesn't really react to it (laughs) in a way that a person would. (laughs) That this old scary looking man like (laughs) grabs a sword and like is about to run you through with it. Keanu's just Mm. like, oh God. But you see, it's there in Gary Oldman's performance. Mm. You see that flash, that sudden switch to mm. anger, and then the switch back. Like he was so, he's so good at that from being this like quite scary, angry man to being this incredibly tender. Like when he's around me, he's so tender. Um, he's so vulnerable. Mm. And it's, 
this it was it felt seamless it didn't feel like oh this isn't this couldn't be this guy it couldn't he couldn't be all these things it felt so even when he's talking to her on the street and he's so desperate for her to like talk to him mm-hmm. and you're just like oh he's like a nervous guy like talking yeah. to a girl he loves yeah. and it's i don't know and then he can be these things he can be this powerful thing he can mm-hmm. be just can transform himself in an instant but he's also a man really at the at the heart of it mm. he's a heartbroken man mm. um and yet the 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 follow-through of it and his even the bit when he's old again and he's using his little box of dirt and they're trying to catch him before he gets back to the castle it's like murder him once and for all and he's like going like mina like he's like he can feel that she's there like waiting for him and mm-hmm. even that even through all of that you can feel that it's not the same as him being gleeful earlier on when he's like about to do something a bit like dodgy, like handing his bride a baby or something. It's different. It's like genuinely, he's like so happy that she's going to be there waiting mm. for him. And even in those very last moments where she like mm. saves his soul at the end, even like, I know they physically change him back to like his original self. Mm. But even in the moments before that, when he looks up at her and he like, what he like thanks her or something or I don't know, but like it's, um, yeah, it's all there, like this this wealth of feeling and you really, and from her as well, you feel it between both of them. There's, it's just magnetic. Yeah. Um, especially in that end moment, mm. like when they're just staring at each other and she has to go in with him and Jonathan Harker does one thing right where he's like, oh, we have to leave them. But like, um, it's so magnetic and that's all just, mostly like eye acting, like just staring at people and like, very, it's all very breathy, but in like the somehow not annoying way. Mm. Like usually a film that's this breathy would really piss me off, but it's actually like works <laughs> super well. Like, especially all the women are just like, oh, like there's a lot of like whimpering and breathing and like clutching of breasts. And, but it's done in a way that you're just like, they're out of control. It feels like they have a fever or something mm. rather than it being this like, fainty they're like they're hot with like fever they're actually just like they're almost being restrained by the men in their lives they're being like oh you're ill and but they're actually like kind of know what they want they want to be like naked and outside and with frolicking dracula. with dracula <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't we all well yeah but also like we sort of glossed over gary oldman and his performance in this film before but like you've just put it so beautifully so it's like he does and like both of you when you're describing the the layers of makeup that he has to be under and one of the things that i found always so intriguing about him as an actor is that actually he doesn't really have terribly striking features Mm. that identify him which is one of i think one of his biggest assets as a as a performer is that he really blends into the role and he blend he worked he's worked quite a lot with like heavy makeup and like very intense costuming and accent work and and all of these different this different arsenal of tools that he has and here it's just all dialed up to a thousand because he has to go through so many different versions of the same character and do that switch that you were talking about before but it does look like him but he's also not necessarily a romantic leading man Mm. or at least he Mm. he wasn't he was never presented to us, at least not in kind of the, the more mainstream films that he'd done. Like he'd been a romantic lead in films like Sid and Nancy, you know, like 
that was yeah. that was his his vibe like being a, a an undead soft boy who was just pining for his long lost love and like feeling everything to a pathological extreme <laughs> and getting so upset and so horny all at the same time like he somehow like just i think the his magnetism and the way that he can physically transform himself mm. even within this realm like just by the way that he moves by the way that he carries himself the costuming like he does come through underneath all the makeup but still there's so many changes to just how he physically presents himself and somehow there is always that glimmer of this is Gary Oldman still this yeah. is Gary Oldman in yeah. the suit this is Gary Oldman as an old man this is Gary Oldman as a sad old man this is Gary Oldman as the mist I mean I know he's not the mist but still you know what I mean it's got Gary Oldman vibes that mist has Gary Oldman vibes <laughs> that is like so, that's that's the ultimate Coppola Gary just Oldman being like... chameleon just like yeah and today <laughs> Could you I am just on set just Coppola being like so this is the uh, mist scene Gary <laughs> So if you could just, uh, I don't know, like, shuffle off your, like, corporal form and just um, become gas. Fantastic. And he would probably just do it. He'd he be would, like, oh, yeah. Okay, great. Is that, is that kind of talent that leads on mm. to roles like, you know, Winston Churchill in The Darkest Hour? Like, you need to be able to mist before you can, <laughs> before you can embody this technique. stuff later, you know, so... But I also oh, feel like yeah. with him, because he's really the character, he's a char- he's a, truly a character actor. He is the role he is. He's playing mm, at the time. Yeah. There's no like quintessential Gary Oldman role. No. There really isn't. Um, it's all right. It's, yeah. It's whoever he, he's memorable mm. every time in the film he's in, but he is that character in that film. Yeah. You believe every beat of that character. Mm. And because in that cast, even though like, there's a lot of really good actors in it. They're actors who we recognise and who are always a bit them. Winona Ryder's always Winona Ryder. Carrie Elwes is always Carrie Elwes, like Richard E. Grant. They're always, even Anthony Hopkins to a certain point, is still very much Anthony Hopkins. And so he's really, st- I think his performance stands out so much because he's really a character actor. It's like, oh, this cast of actors and Dracula. Like, do you mean it feels like, yeah, oh, he's really so this thing? Yeah, but everyone else is kind of can be themselves and is themselves a little mm. bit. Like um, in that article, that uh, Copley always talked about, talk, also talked about, um, he wanted to cast like a teen idol mm. as Jonathan Harker, so that's why he cast Keanu. Yeah, because he wanted someone who I think obviously is attractive and who young women would see and be like, oh, to play against Gary Oldman's like, yeah, not conventionally good looking, not leading man looks, but still so charismatic because that's why it works so well. Mm. If he was this drop dead gorgeous, like striking man, then there'd be another layer of like, well, does it even matter if he's Dracula? Is it like, I don't know. Like it it speaks also to his power that he can make the ordinary extraordinary. He doesn't need to look special. He is special. Yeah, I think it. it's also just very clever. Because I think a lot of people think it's quite weird casting. I think it's very clever because I'm like, if he's just a beautiful vampire, then of course mm. girls are going to fucking love him. Like, if he's just very plain, but there's something about him, that's like very, mm. a very different feeling. I actually was thinking about this. I was like, you know, it'd be good. Not that he's very normal looking, but like Killian Murphy would also be an incredibly good vampire. I think it has to be kind of like odd. Yeah. Or I don't, I, th- I just don't really like when vampires are conventionally good looking. Yeah. I think they either have to be like alien beautiful or like plain, but just mm-hmm. 
very charismatic. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and like um, Gary Oldman falls into the latter camp. And I think that's why it works because all the other casts are just instantly recognizable, instantly them all the time. And he can just do whatever. He can be missed. So <laughs> who, can, <laughs> who can compete with that? <laughs> I mean, truly no one. And like even it's a testament as well to the intensity and the commitment i think of both him and winona and i think like you're right winona is sort of battling against her own image and you know she was one of the most sought after popular actresses of her time at that time like she was she was a huge star Mm. so this is very much playing against type but also she's not often playing so intensely not at this time in her career anyway she's always like quite reserved like very cool very cool yeah very of the 90s Mm. and here especially in the book ending of the of the film at the beginning where we meet um vlad as opposed to dracula and he holds elizabetta Mm. elizabetta's body after she's she's committed suicide and like there's a lot of acting by um on his part and then when we have the parallel ending where it's um mina holding dracula's body as he transforms momentarily back into a human being into a human man she's kind of doing all of this over-the-top emotional display of like the supernatural time immemorial love that they have between each other and like again this should be extremely corny it should not work and it should especially Mm -hmm. not work from an actress like her and she somehow kind of manages to match Gary Oldman's character actor intensity and it doesn't it I mean it is cheesy yeah. but it like it you kind of feel for yeah. them I did maybe I'm just a yeah sucker. yeah I did no, for totally. sure that seems really like touching and I think it's one of those things because of that there was a period of time where there were only it felt like there were only a few real like superstar actors Mm. so they were just in everything even if they couldn't do the accent even if they weren't necessarily a very good actor it was just like oh you're in everything which in so many ways again because this cast is like that it shouldn't work Mm. but it does and me and my friend talk about this thing called history face where we talk about some people look too modern to look like they're from another time there's like a time that you can cast them from Mm -hmm. and forward but not before like the girl from the queen's gambit Oh, Anya Taylor-Joy. Yeah, and I i mean, I like The Witch, but she looked too modern for me in The Witch. It's like she's got very modern, like, model face. But from the 60s onwards, bang on. <laughs> but, like, and there's, you know, and who surprised me with it as well is Seth Rogen in The American Pickle. Yeah, He looks great yes. as, like, an old-timey guy. I was like, oh, my God, like, he should be in more things where he has to wear a period costume um, because he's great. And n- none of the younger actors really have that. They don't have good history face. They look very modern, but because COVID has created this timeless world, Mm. it again, doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter that she's this young, like hot ingenue at the time who is very recognizably Winona Ryder. It's it because it works in this world that they're these beautiful people. And they're, I don't know, it's really, because in so many, there are so many ways, there's so many slight things that could be different that would make it not work. And it really it really does and she really does match up to his 
and and she always had it in her like whatever we've seen with Stranger Things and stuff like that with her now she's an older actress mm. it just also makes me wonder because obviously when you're in that position when you're young like in your 20s beautiful like hot actress who's like you know the hot thing at the time whoever wants to be in their film you having a lot of roles thrust upon you as in like you play these parts and it'd be weird for you to play these other parts and whatever and a lot of them don't require her to actually be like that emotive or mm. that dexterous and so it's actually really nice that she got to like flex those like acting muscles in this because I, I feel like in her younger days especially especially at the time a lot of young actresses especially had their career thrust upon them it was just that you couldn't really do in, like things you were particularly interested in if it didn't match up with everyone's vision of where you mm. should be and what you should be doing there's also an assumption that like someone like Winona Ryder wasn't necessarily a great actress, but it's like, that's not necessarily true. And um, same with Scarlett Johansson in in ways that like until she did Under the Skin, mm-hmm. it was like, is she a good actress? Who knows? She's playing the almost exact same part and everything. Um, and I think the same thing was happening with Winona. So it was really nice, especially at the end, especially in that end section where she gets to be this like thrashing, like fevered, like in love, like manic um, woman. And I, I actually didn't look it up. I wonder, like, what exactly the next thing she did were that, like, like right after that. I'm not actually sure, but um, it worked really well. And I think because Gary Oldman's performance is actually very pulled back, considering he's like Dracula, <laughs> it's actually very held back. Mm. It's not like over the top. Um, like uh, these costumes are over the top and stuff. But he's actually probably the most pulled back actor in all of it he's the least hammy anyway mm. like it's all just very subtle and emotional so it kind of needed that from her it needed this like more panicked i think emotional dramatic like kind of energy coming from her so that he could be like the calm in control mm. guy i was reading that coppola really wanted this to feel like an erotic fever dream and that's how we've been talking about mm, it throughout yeah. this whole recording so far. But I was wondering kind of about it being a gothic horror film as well. Like, what do you guys think about the horror elements of the film? Yeah, I think I think there are some pretty um, like standards horror moments in it, um, whether it's from lucy uh sort of spitting or like puking blood all over van helsing or um one when they walk in on mina when she's kind of (laughs) she's doing that thing that you do when you're a teenager where she's like she's like snogging the air you know when you have like your hands behind (laughs) you and like "Mm." yeah except the air is like dracula and she's covered in blood exactly but then as they like um burst through the doors you get that like probably the only sort of jump scare like traditional jump scare of the film when when big man bat like sort of flops down in front of them like screams in their faces um and yeah kind of gothic wise you know it is it's for me i think it's got a real gothic feel to it it's big castles and flowing gowns and kind of dark corners and wilting flowers and you know it's it feels grand in that gothic way um and for me has enough kind of rats and blood and um yeah sort of 
passionate embraces that it all kind of it knits together quite nicely as a, as a gothic mm. horror so as far as like the gothic horror element of it i remember the first time i saw it really like unnerved me was the shadow stuff was that and it's his shadow mm. like moving into like a bit slower than him yeah. and i think when jonathan harker's in the uh castle his does as well like moves a little bit independent of him or like that his shadow can like stay in a room as he's like left and stuff like that that really i thought was really clever because mm. this thing that we all have but the fact that he's like somehow like split in two as well he's like there's like another part of him that can be like separate from him and can be around and be i don't know like mm. when he shadows like in the room and stuff like with mina i think and it's just um yeah those bits really like i remember the first time i saw it they really freaked me out because i was like oh that's like actually a really scary thought mm. that this part is like the dark side of like peter pan mm. <laughs> like your shadow can be this actually like part of you that's like separate to you and has own like agenda and like there's a bit where it goes to strangle Jonathan yeah. Harker, mm. right? And it's just like, and it's just this bit that happens in the background, and neither, like, no one, like, he doesn't know, Jonathan doesn't notice. It's just this that it has its own intention. Is it like his real, is it an extension of his feeling? Is it like a, do you mean it's, it's so interesting, I think? And those bits are really um, unsettling. Mm. And, um, and I actually like, I know we've like joked about the bit with the bride. <laughs> but like the bits because initially it just starts like yeah they appear out of the bed and it's called sexy and it's all just like he's like writhing around in pleasure and then it suddenly you suddenly cuts to a part where you realize there's like blood and there's a bit there's a scene where like their body shapes like the body denser in the bed but they're not there mm. so it again like we're talking about it being the fever dream it is like this horrible where it's just like juxtaposition of like pain and pleasure yeah I love that you kind of cut to this bit where they're just like all bl- like they're they're biting him. It's not just like it's not the sexy like romp. Mm. It's like no, it's actually really awful. Mm. He's covered in blood. He's like being eaten by these women. Mm. So there are like yeah, there are definitely and the bit where um, Dracula is trying to get Mina to drink from him and there's that close up of him cutting his chest yes. with his nails yeah. is such a great shot um because like it's just they really take their time rather than being like a quick cut he like draws it across and nothing happens for a bit and And then blood starts pouring out a tiny bit and the blood comes out yeah it's amazing yeah and it's it's that like slowness as well and those individual images because as even as you were describing them I was like thinking of the images and those scenes and I remember so vividly being scared by the like particular images of this film you know when sometimes when you see horror films a little bit too early to understand fully what's going on Mm -hmm. or the full Mm. context of a particular scene but certain images sort of ingrain themselves in your mind yeah like this happened to me with very disparate images from this film like the image of lucy like in that in that bridal gothic outfit but already dead and very very chalky pasty white with blood running down her front and like that image of um gary oldman's chest being cut open with a nail and like just the slow building up of very very almost black blood Mm. coming coming Mm. out of him and like the shadows that you were talking about the poster itself which is like a gothic engraving of the two of them sort of holding each other but it wasn't romantic like i remember very distinct images from this film as being quite terrifying as standalone images Mm. 
Mm. Like the the total thing is very over the top, very extra, very grand and romantic and feverish. But if we just take like individual images, some of them are probably some of the most terrifying visions of Dracula on screen because of the fact that they feel quite otherworldly like I was never quite scared Mm. of hammer gothic horrors me because I didn't see them early enough but like those are not that scary because they always feel quite um almost stagey whereas this feels incredibly cinematic in that way that only something that's created for the screen using all the the tools and the tricks that exist in a filmmaker's toolbox to create an image that sort of ingrains itself in the audience's head yeah if any of Mm. that makes sense it makes perfect sense and um what you're saying about those specific images staying with you Mm. the one that you um mentioned earlier about when um he gets stood up and he's crying onto the letter and his face kind of transforms and he's he's almost the bat he's almost the wolf he's part himself and Mm. the tears like the tears are kind of black I feel like and like his face is all kind of creased and wet that I remember is probably the the image from when I was younger and watching it that really stuck with me and I think Mm. now thinking about it it's because other um, screen adaptations of Dracula you might get Christopher Lee turning into a bat and kind of flapping past the camera Um, but you so rarely get this real like animalistic transformation and I think there was something about that image of of a a, what is so obviously a beast but with the this outpouring of human emotion that really like unsettled me and kind of made me realize like Dracula is a monster but also the monster is like a man it's yeah and that was something that is just like indelible And I think it's like that also, he's inevitable. Like what we were talking about, about the fact that he can just be in their mind, like Mm. before he even gets to London, he's like in their heads and he's like infiltrated anyway. And the men are actually just kind of, the other men who might be protecting these women, they're they're pointless. I mean, they're doing their best, but you mean, it's like you can, you already know at this point in the film when they start realizing what's happening, Mm. it's like, you can't really do anything. Mm. um and i think it's that it's his inevitability he's the fact that he can get to them at any point and all the things these men know to do to protect these women are not things that are helpful (laughs) they can't do they can't like have a regular fight with this guy they can't just shoot him dead they do mean it's all um so it's that feel that creeping feeling of he's going to get what he wants even that instinct to kind of lock them away and keep them safe these women like yeah come with me i'll take you to my quarters they won't be able to get you here but of course he can you know just hiding people away hiding your women isn't gonna work against this guy right and we already know that as the audience Mm. because we've seen how pervasive like his influence is but then they're just like these men like scrambling to yeah. figure out mm. a way to stop it. And these women are already so far involved. 
by the time they even clue like get a clue they're like these women are like gone (laughs) and it's just like (laughs) and it's that it's that there's the presence that that can just get in anyway like you can't stop it you actually can't do anything and I think with modern vampires there's this idea of like oh they can't come unless they're invited Mm. there's all these like restrictions on because there has to be Mm. they kind of make it like a little they make them a little more fallible a little more but in this he's not there's none of that he can travel by day he can be out in the daytime he can get in somehow without necessarily being like like overtly invited Mm. in a way that's like so there's um these rules that we come to know don't really apply here and i think there's something quite unsettling if we had the idea of like this thing that could like get into your brain and then get into your room and not only like get kill you if it wanted to but make you want him to make you want you to want like to kill you to like drink your blood like that's I mean it's like a whole brain and body takeover and I've always loved we were just talking about that Mina in the room like you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) but like um (laughs) yeah I always love the idea like the fact that the the romance or like sex in some way has always been tied in with vampirism because Mm -hmm. it's initially it looks like an embrace. Mm-hmm. Like if you were to happen upon a vampire biting yeah. the neck, like of a woman, it looks like a woman, be, like maybe be her neck's being, until you pull away, do you realize that something horrifying is happening? Mm-hmm. And I kind of love that it's like tied in with that. And that, that they really go all the way with that in this film, mm-hmm. where it's all to every interaction that a woman has with a vampire, like Lucy or Mina, is quite sexualized. Mm-hmm. It's quite like, you know and I guess even Jonathan with the brights like it's all very sexualized even though this very violent thing is happening and in the same way I was talking about that shot we pull away and realize they're covered in blood it's that thing of like oh actually this is not sexy this is actually really terrifying and this person doesn't even know they're not even fighting it off they want it like they've got Mm. like the such is the power that you want it you're like there for it you're just letting yourself like be taken yeah I think it's like that's quite a creepy idea as well there's something really powerful as well in in something you mentioned earlier about Dracula is really targeting the female characters in this and the men are quite helpless and I think it's I was just thinking about it as you were talking about the fact that we've been laughing a lot about how hapless and kind of matey they become and they become this little this little Hanson-esque like boy band <laughs> led by Anthony Hopkins Van Helsing who's very chipper about cutting people's heads off and how funny it is but actually the real drama is that actually they're always too late because none of them understand the power that Dracula has over these women or what exactly about him appeals to them. Mm. So they've already lost mm. before they even begin the fight. Yeah. They stand no chance because he's he's already won and won in a in in a combat, in a war that they didn't even know was happening. Because it was kind of happening right, right in front of them, but behind their backs because they were never paying any attention to what these women actually wanted. It was just mm. the proper way of dealing with this you know in this kind of again this world that only really exists in the bubble of this film but a lot of it I think has to do with sexual repression and how these women in particular and Mina and Lucy as our key lead characters and the way that they express themselves sexually being so vastly different I don't think that's by accident those are very mm-hmm. very deliberate choices and very deliberate performances and the fact that the biggest 
journey that Mina has is sort of letting herself go and letting herself embrace the intensity of these feelings that she has for Dracula, but also they're always kind of very buttoned up inside of her. And that thing we were talking about when the the chemistry between her and Jonathan is never the same, I think also kind of harkens back to that in many ways. And I, yeah, I just think it's so, there's so many different layers to how the gender politics of this film kind of map themselves out even within this like batshit crazy quite comical and quite over the top erotic kind of gothic horror drama now you're saying that's actually making me think because originally i was thinking of dracula as like he is (laughs) he is that guy who like gets hurt once when he's like 15 and treats women like shit for the rest of his life and then when he's like 40 is like oh maybe I'm an asshole actually I'm sorry guys I realize that my actions affect other people like which is not an unfamiliar <laughs> trope of like brand of man so it's like quite funny that and as you're talking about the other guys I'm like oh yeah they are just kind of oblivious and that, that thing where like I don't know if you have like guy mates who when there's like a certain celebrity becomes very popular among women at one point, like Ryan Gosling's like a, a, a good one, where guys mm. just don't get it. And it's like, mm, do you not get it? And it's like, this is the kind of girl that would, like guy would swoop in and just take your girlfriend and the whole time. You'd be like, oh, I don't understand. And he's even attractive. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and like wouldn't understand what women are actually finding attractive about this person, not listening to the fact that they're going... Because he's like charismatic and he's like, like they're just going, oh, he's not like fit. Like, and it's um, <laughs> that thing. And it actually, Richard E. Grant's character, especially, that all of, even these three men, this band of like men who are like in love with Lucy, they're in love with Lucy, but do any of them really know her? Not really. Like when she's ill, they're all just kind of stood around, like looking at her like, <laughs> like, oh, well. Oh. Lucy's sick, I guess. Like they just don't really know what to <laughs> what to do with that information. They're just a bit like like Carrie Owens, I think, is just a bit like, oh she's fine, up until like the point where he goes in and she sees that she's like really pet and he's like, Oh, maybe she's not maybe get a doctor. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Well like <laughs> And the Texan, like Quincy, literally leads in to kiss her when she's got these massive fangs, new a new whole new set of teeth coming out of her face. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, oh yeah, little kiss. Maybe. Yeah, like yeah. so they're just like and Richard E. Grant's character in the in Sailor Asylum he works in, the stuff that's happening in the background is horrific. There's a bit where he puts like a rag over his nose it must smell so badly <laughs> he's just like recording his little diary and like taking morphine and thinking about lucy <laughs> and it's like none of it it's very tumblr 2012 energy that scene <laughs> yeah. the guy that's uh, what's the guy who's like um dracula's minion um, oh renfield tom waits renfield yeah. Right? yeah yeah and he's like in his cell like screaming about his like none of them even pay attention to the fact that he's like my master's coming he's just eating bugs and they're like oh lol he's eating bugs anyway and I'm just like the fact that you've just taken everything that you've seen or what's happening is like oh I guess some weird stuff's happening but you're not really paying attention to it because you just kind of like the women are acting weird um <laughs> don't know what that's about <laughs> hopefully they snap out of it and it's just it's also indicative of that like these guys who are just very basic guys mm. like kind of like himbo-ish guys <laughs> who are just kind of like just i don't know like do their jobs and then one like have a wife and they're just a bit like everything else mm. it's just white noise and they're like wait what's happening now like van helsing turns up and they're just like oh really like and it takes them until the end when they go on that big trip that's o- the only time it feels like they've really truly got what's going on <laughs> where they're like we have to meet him at this point to try and do this 
that feels like the properly, truly the only time they're like all in sync and all on the same page and like, right, by any means necessary, <laughs> we have to like end this because he's a vampire and the oh. women are under his spell. Oh. Yes. <laughs> And even part of me wonders if their like drive is less about there being a vampire around mm. and more about the fact that he's taking their women specifically. <laughs> because I'm like, if he was just like a vampire and he was killing off like, you knew about it, but he was killing, I don't know you'd be that committed. It feels like he's taking our women. Like it's definitely that like very macho <laughs> like reaction to it. They are just like, I just, I kind of love that the women mm are way more complex characters that feels like anyway, they're more, way more interesting um, than the men are, barring Van Helsing and Dracula. Like, <laughs> they're both very interesting. But there's these three like massive actors and their characters are just not very interesting. Three three massive actors and Quincy. Poor Quincy. <laughs> we, should, we should look up his name. I feel What's so bad name? for him. Oh, Quincy, Hi, what Quincy. is your name? Billy Campbell. Billy Hello. Campbell. Hi, Obvi- Hi, Billy. And obviously, the incredibly famous Billy Campbell. Yes. <laughs> the very famous, very well-respected actor, Billy Campbell. Again, Billy Campbell. he could have even had a more memorable name, but no. <laughs> so I think it's just like, it's, yeah, I, maybe, like, and I feel like it feels like it was done on purpose. Mm. I, I I have faith that it was done on purpose. These women, even though they are the victims, mm. are way more interesting. Like have more complex inner lives, have like secrets mm, and yeah. desires yeah. and the men are just very straightforward. They're like woman and like violence mm. and that's essentially it. To wrap up this glorious three way discussion <laughs> about this film, I was wondering how do you think this film has permeated pop culture because it's probably one of the better known or most imitated adaptations of Dracula I think it kind of really paved the way for modern vampires like this really was one of the first kind of steps away from Dracula in his cape and like kind of you know the like widow's peak and the slicked back hair and Gary Oldman's Dracula um, and all of his different iterations but I think especially kind of that like steampunk count um, Mm. drinking absinthe and 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 sort of being a lad about town I think he really kind of did pave the way for you know vampires to be more than just a, a kind of monster in a castle or a kind of like creepy guy at the window like he's this film sort of built a bit more a bit more complexity and a bit more depth to kind of what vampires Mm. can be um and also like even just pop culture wise like i'm pretty sure that things like retractable fangs weren't a thing before this film and i feel like now um vampires having one face so even if you think about like Buffy the Vampire Slayer them having Mm -hmm. the like human face and then they go vamp um you know that with this film you get that thing where the the vampire Dracula or whoever um is is the vampire on screen they look human they look normal you can see that people would be kind of drawn in and then you get this change you get the the teeth come out as somebody comes towards them and I just feel like you know the 
there's a lot of vampire stuff now that wouldn't look the way it does if it wasn't for Bram Stoker's Dracula in in 92. Yeah, I agree. And I think also because it's so close to the book, it brought it really because there obviously have been vampire films before this, like like quite a lot like a vampire films made before this. But this brought it back to really the idea of it being essentially a love story mm. that he's actually like he's tortured. He's not some like, you know, beastie having a great time just running around being a vampire. This like, idea of it being a curse, tortured. like you said earlier. Like- yeah, right. And he doesn't want to do it to Mina because he really, at the heart of everything, he loves, he was in love. That's really everything that drives him. Um, and um, so I, I'm glad it's kind of come back to that because then there are other, there are newer vampires where it comes back to this, to this idea of like, actually it's like quite torturous being this mm. way. And it's actually like, and it's forever. And isn't that awful? Mm rather than it being this like great I get to live in all the different times and like be sexy and whatever it's like no it's awful and I'm kind of glad they brought it back to this actually really tragic story that it is and as far as pop culture goes I mean I think there's like it's iconic it's iconic some of the imagery from that film is if you see someone like anything in a cartoon there's like any parody with any kind of hairstyle like that you know exactly where it's Mr. from Burns. like I can't stop thinking about Mr. Burns right? yep. Simpsons <laughs> yep <laughs> Mr. Burns. <laughs> like it's immediately it's come from even like his armor that like we're talking about has yeah. popped up in other things. It's literally informed so many I'm pretty sure there are sunglasses that look that way because <laughs> of this film, like because like, it's so cool. But um it, it's really it permeated a lot of culture and I think there's imagery so striking in it that you could put it anywhere and people will go, Oh, that's a reference mm. to this. There's such specific specific specificity i don't know if i said that right but whatever you know what i mean um in some especially the costumes and stuff like we were saying that you could put them anywhere and you would know what they were you would know where they were from um so it's like a massive achievement on that front that's like where everyone's mind goes to the fact that everyone always says the title even yeah bram stoker's dracula like no one no one's really shortens it no one it's bram stoker's dracula like that's um i mean yeah Everyone knows exactly what you're because talking about. Because if you, if you think about it, like all of the Draculas that you've covered already on your series, Anna, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, well, this one's Dracula. Cool. Which one? Oh, well, it's the Frank Langella, Langella one. Or this one's Dracula. Mm. Which mm. one? Oh, well, it's the 1932 version. You know, yeah. with this, it's like it's Bram, Bram Stoker's Dracula. There is no getting <laughs> yeah, away yeah. from that. There's no mixing it up with anything else. This is, again, coming back to this word, it's like it's it's quintessential, right? yeah it's such a choice as well because like you're absolutely right becky like everyone when we talk about the different draculas you talk about the actor who embodies them bella lugosi christopher lee franklin geller whoever you you don't sometimes people will mention gary oldman but they remember they remember the author and it's such a specific choice as well i think and you know we don't have time in this series to talk about one of my favorite periods which is like the the attempted gothic revival of the 90s <laughs> that's whole for a whole nother thing but it's this you know reminding people that no this is the story of the book this is the story by bram stoker and this is like the quintessential and like, ultimate dracula and it comes down to what we we're saying before about the lack of coppola's ego 
in the sense in that interview in the times he's like why not coppola's dracula mm. and he's like oh, i don't know i just don't think that it's like it makes way more sense to call it bram stoker's and it's way more memorable because if it was just coppola it would just be like oh the director is just mm. his dracula but like it's so clever and he just didn't feel the need to like slap his name on he's like well no it's this person's story that i'm telling um and it's just very clever guys thank you so much this was even this was better than i could have ever imagined it to be i've had such a <laughs> lovely time me too <laughs> like i feel like i've traveled through oceans of time <laughs> <laughs> I literally watched it. I have crossed I've oceans tra- of time for you, ladies. To record this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it yesterday and now I want to watch it Me again. Too. Like, because <laughs> I just want to do an audio it. commentary, the three of us, just scene yeah. by scene. <gasps> oh my god, yes. This is this is a plan. This is happening. For a future time. This is now on the record. <laughs> I'm gonna leave this in so we can be held accountable. Yes, please. <laughs> guys thank you so much and for your incredible insight and for your time and where can people find more of your work online uh you can find me on twitter at izara underscore bb and i post everything i'm doing or on instagram at at azorasaurus or on the final girls website under the bloody women heading yeah on twitter i'm at bunny dark um same on instagram there's a link tree link on both of my um like little bios on those social media sites um that you can follow to see any of my writing um yeah i'm just i'm all over the gaff you're both everywhere amazing thank you so much thanks anna thank you (laughs) thank you and that's it for this episode of the final ghost podcast you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever, or wherever you get your shows. If you can, please do take the time to leave us a review on podcast. And you can find out more about what we do on The Final Ghost of Code UK and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Final Ghost UK. You can also follow Azora on Twitter at Azora underscore BB and Becky at Bunny Dark. I'm on Twitter at Anna B. Demented. Thank you for listening, and next week we'll be back with our first episode of 2021.